Welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and I'm your new regular host for the podcast going forward. Never fear though, you'll still get your weekly fix of tech news, interviews and reviews. In this packed episode, Pocket Lint's deputy editor, Britta O'Boyle, will be joining me to give her thoughts on the M2-powered Apple MacBook Air after having used it for a week. She'll also give us her opinion on the differences to the previous model and whether it's worth upgrading. In addition, I'll be chatting with Williams Racing F1 driver Alex Albon about a possible electric future for the motorsport and how technology helps or even hinders him on race days. But first, after weeks, even months of teases and talk, we're finally seeing the launch of the Nothing Phone, open brackets, one, close brackets. Pocketlink editor Chris Hall has been following all the action to tell us more. So, Chris, the Nothing Phone is finally out there in the wild. Yeah, it's now a something phone. It actually <laughs> exists. <laughs> yeah, so Nothing is the the new company of Carl Pei, who is best known for being one of the founders of OnePlus. And so it's no surprise that he's using many of the same techniques to hype up his new Nothing brand in the same way that OnePlus did when it launched the first OnePlus One. So we've seen, te- uh, uh, we've seen leaks and teases. There's been exclusive sales of early handsets, and we've had waiting lists and invite systems to be able to get one. It was finally unveiled yesterday. I'm lucky enough to have it in my hand, so I have seen quite a lot more of it than most other people. And it is, to all intents and purposes, a mid-range Android phone. And that may not be what people are expecting, but that's what it is. It's a solid mid-ranger with the price at £399. That means it's going to be going up against some very competitive models. Uh, So that's the first interesting thing, that it's not going into a flagship race. It's sitting slightly lower than that. And obviously, the thing that Nothing is trying to do is differentiate. And having said that tech was boring and that they wanted to change the game, they have done a few things to try and make this phone more interesting. The most obvious is what they're calling the Glyph interface, which is a series of LED bars on the back of the phone that can be used for notifications or to show your charging status or reflect when you're talking to Google Assistant, for example. Um, You can set patterns for this so that when someone phones you, they get their own unique pattern and various things like that. And it is, you know, kind of just like having customized ringtones, but in a visual sense. And that and the transparent back that lets you see something of the inside of the phone is really the bit that's unique about this. And everything else is pretty much par for the course for the mid-range. The one thing I noticed about it from afar, I haven't seen the phone physically yet, is it doesn't look like a mid-ranger. It actually looks more like a flagship phone. Um, it's it looks like it's built really nicely. Is that the case? Yeah, that that is true. Um, we've in the mid range there are there there used to be a lot of devices that were plastic and you know perhaps moderate build quality, not great. But here you have a well constructed phone, and a lot of people are saying it looks like an iPhone, and I can't deny that. I mean, the shape of the buttons and the location of the buttons on the side are exactly the same as the iPhone, and it's flattened. It's flattened aluminium, so yeah, it, it's very iPhoney, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because people, will, a lot of people, will pick it up, look at it, be reminded of the iPhone, then see that it's half the price, and think actually this is a good quality device. And there's little things like, uh, you know, some some low level waterproofing that's been put in as well. Um, the, and the nice flush display with uh, a, a very slim line of bezel that's equal all the way all the way around. So there's no chin or forehead like you get on some other devices. So, so yeah, you're right. It is a it's a well built phone, and it certainly does look good. Going back to the launch slightly, um, it it seems to me that um, Carl Pye has 
literally lifted his own playbook from OnePlus and, and launched nothing in a very similar way. Um, is that the case to you? Absolutely. That, that's exactly what he's doing. Um, and I suspect that he was that, that this was his playbook at OnePlus when launching that launching the brand there. Um, it's it's clever marketing. It certainly whipped people into a frenzy. And for a small startup company that so far only has a set of headphones, it has got a lot of media attention and has drawn in a lot of people to try and promote this. And the big the big market for this phone really is India. Uh, OnePlus had a huge following there. Carl Pei has quite substantial personal fame in in India, and so I think that that's where it's going to be a big seller. The other thing to note, though is that this is not launching into the US markets at all at this point in time. Um, and I believe that's because the cost of launching a device in the US is so expensive because you have to go through all the different network testing. Um, so the US misses out on it. India is going to get it full bore and uh, we get it in the in the UK and Europe as well. Do we think it will never release in the US or or when it, things settle down and they manage to sell su- sufficient numbers and production lines. I mean, we all know the issue with stocks and, and chip, chip shortages and production lines having tr- issues producing a mass scale of devices. Um, do you think that that's also contributory and we might see nothing actually go into the US market at some point? I think it may happen at some point in the future, but there are... There are a number of brands who who don't do so well in the U.S. And actually, the, the selection of, of 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 brands that you can get in the U.S. has narrowed quite a lot. It's very much Samsung and Apple who are dominating the whole thing. And many of the Chinese brands just don't have much of a presence there at all. Some of them deliberately choose not to go there. Some of them probably having seen the experience that Huawei has been through with the bands has thought, well, maybe it's not worth the massive investment of getting into the U.S. market if if we're going to run into problems when we get there. So I suspect that that at the moment it's about the affordability, making sure that they can build up a head of steam, get the order books through, get the manufacturing up to uh, up to speed, as you say, and then maybe think, okay, we can now afford to launch ourselves into the US without bankrupting ourselves. Of course, what they're really doing is building up hype in a market that can't get this phone. And if they, if uh, if nothing thinks that they have sufficient hype to to attack the US market, then I'm sure they would go for it. Are you a fan of the way it's been teased over the last several weeks to months? This drip feeding of tweets, this this way of sort of like, and and it's very clever, and it's obviously got nothing to be uh, something, like you say. But are you a fan of that sort of because we pretty much knew everything before it was even launched. Yeah, I miss the days where you go to a launch or you watch a launch and you know nothing at all and then you're surprised and there's a whole, you know, an outpouring of excitement because you've seen something you've never seen before. Those days seem to have gone. It now seems to be impossible to launch a consumer product without pretty much everything being known about it. And even Apple don't seem to be able to escape this. So although this has been done deliberately, I think it's a shame that we miss out on those sort of big reveals where everyone gasps and says, wow, isn't this amazing? And then has to spend a long time catching up because it's easy now because we we have all of this information in advance. A lot of people have made their decisions or made these judgments before they've even seen the phone, before the phone is even launched. And they're making judgments about the specs and, and other things. 
And so you kind of miss out on that actual experience of what it's like using a device, which becomes much more important for for selling things. So I'm I'm not I'm not a fan. Um, it, it is a way of of playing the media and getting getting lots of extra coverage. And of course, we play a part in that because we are covering these devices. Um, but I do definitely miss going into a room and being surprised when I see something that has never been shown to the world before. And I suppose my final question is, um, having had it in your hands for a little while, uh, do you, so far, do you like it? Yeah, I'm not actually allowed to say anything in too much detail because that is, uh, that's, that's not going to be allowed for, for a little bit longer. But my, my first impressions of the phone are actually pretty solid. Um, I've used a lot of mid-range devices and this is doing all of the things that I want it to do. And so far, I haven't found any uh, glaring problems that I'm going to get too worried about. Still to come, we look at the new M2 MacBook Air, with Britta giving us her thoughts on its new features and capabilities. It's definitely one of those things that you either probably love it or hate it, maybe a bit like Marmite. Now though, luxury audio brand Bang & Olufsen is a partner of the Williams Racing Team for this F1 season and beyond, and so I was invited to Silverstone on the eve of the British Grand Prix in June to meet and chat with driver Alex Albon. As one of the younger racers in the sport, he is fully up on his technology, both home and in his day job. And, with the motorsport constantly shifting towards a more sustainable and high-tech future, I wanted to find out his thoughts on what that means to him now and in the years to come. I started by asking Alex what recent technological advancements in F1 he couldn't do without. Oh, okay. Um, it's hard because there's not really one thing that stands out. There's... Um, there's a dynamic between Formula One and you know, the people that write our sport and, and govern it, yeah. um, who try to limit as much technology as they can. In, in some ways, they try to keep it raw. So we don't drive with much technology. You know, we don't have ABS. We don't have traction yeah. control. Um, the basics of the car, um, no. Um, a lot of the technology we have right now is for reliability and performance. So um, thinking about it now. The real, the, the truthfully, the true tech um, is in the safety of the cars. Yeah. You know, if, if I if I actually look at um, how much um, time and, and money gets in, invested in in crash structures and you know our our, our well-being, <laughs> I say I'm both thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. How about analytics? Because obviously there's sensors all over the car. Yes. Especially on practice days. Um, it is. Does that help you? Um. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, I think there's there's an element of um, it's there, and it does help the whole team. But uh, as a driver, it, it doesn't really play a huge part. For instance, you know, you, I guess you can compare data and you can look at data and you yeah. can improve from that. But so can everyone. And so, yes, you data moves things forwards. But it, it at least driving wise, at least from from my side. Um, it actually takes part of the skill away because you you end up um, being able to look at everything and, and understand everything. You know, back in the day, um, it was very raw. It was yeah. the engineer and the driver. Um, you would tell the engineer you were flat in the corner, and you wouldn't be, and he would believe you, and that was it, and that was the story of it. But um, but yeah, there's a difference in it now. It's it's. Um, I don't want to sound anti-tech. But <laughs> but, um, but there is a there is an element that we uh, we we are reliant on tech and, and there's some bits which um, yeah I wouldn't 
be against not having and certainly when you're driving itself you the sort of driver that likes the less amount of um of contact over the radio yeah it's strange you know i i I study data a lot i i look at what's going on um what we do is a lot by feel and actually you know we're in our heads when we're driving we can we don't need the data but the data is almost a validation of of how we feel um when we're driving uh, i still want to know what's going on but um, a lot of the work that we do is before and after kind of once we're in the seat we're actually completely in the zone and we're yeah we're we've done you know the tech is on the steering wheel for us at, at that in that present time but it's almost um, robotic how we operate the wheel and um, it becomes almost glued to us where we don't yeah. even have to think about what we're doing the guys at the factory you know we've got a thousand people at the factory they're giving the race team and, and you know there's the data going on around here they they're giving us switches to change constantly to to make sure the car's reliable or if it's for performance or you know whatever it may be changing the strategy of the car um but as i said you know a lot of the take taken understanding is done before and after where we um you know we we do our homework it's almost like a, a study before we drive and then afterwards it's the debrief the evaluation of how it went and then we prepare again for the next session how about simulators do you use those um i do i would say um, there's two types yeah kind of the race team simulators which are multi-million pound and of course uh, you know they have a lot of full-time people working on them building the circuits building the cars the tyre technology um, yeah. which is actually I would say the hardest thing about them but also of course the motion and, and everything yeah. besides that so uh, they're uh, they're in a they're uh, in a different league where, where yeah. you know it, it, we are totally reliant on the simulator I do at least one day before every weekend where I'm driving it to make sure we're happy with the setup and we're happy with the updates that are coming onto the car it's um, it's become a thing now you know where maybe 10-15 years ago it was taken with a pinch of salt you know oh it's a simulator okay we've done this and this yeah. but it we just need to bear in mind it's a simulator whereas now it's you know you fully trust it you you have to trust it because the regular the way that formula one is now is so limited on testing simulator driving is actually the only um form of driving yeah. that we get. yeah it's it's um it, it's it's yeah we're totally dependent on it and then of course you have the other side which is the commercial side um which i do more for fun and i do yeah. really enjoy it um, i find racing and, and simulators there's a great connection between what we do and and what you can do at home. You know, there's not many sports where you can actually sit down, have a have the throttle and pedal and the steering wheel. Yeah. And that's you know, there's a little bit more with the motion and everything, but realistically speaking, you know, the, the direct translation between between what what the working day man man or woman can do yeah. and what we can do is pretty close, and it's quite fun to be able to interact with people who you know, we can. Generally speaking, as long as, long as it's not Mario Kart, you can <laughs> jump onto a yeah. simulator and, and be quite quick and, and be able to race people who, um, you know, they've spent time doing simulator running and vice versa. These simulator guys, especially the Formula, the esports uh, drivers that, for instance, Williams have, yeah, they're now crossing the bridge the other way. They're, we're using them for our simulator because you know they've got a great feeling, they have great consistency, great accuracy, and. Um, we can start using these guys as 
uh, to help us perform. Yeah. So it's it's quite cool to see how the bridge between kind of just everyday home simulators to to the career path of um, you know go karting all the way through is becoming closer, which is um, yeah amazing. Do you enjoy the official F1 games, or do you prefer to sort of not do yeah. F1 when you get at home? Um, most games I play is not racing games, so I, I like to play you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, I like Valorant right now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh. Or uh, um, VR games, um, which I play with my girlfriend. Um, racing games, Formula One, yes. We kind of drove so much of Formula yeah. One in, in, in during COVID that you kind of almost got sick of it in some ways. <laughs> Um, but there's some great games out there, you know, like iRacing, yeah. etc. Of course, so there's some, yeah, really good stuff. And um, I have to tell you that they you know, it's amazing how good they are now. You know, you're getting to a point where, um, yeah, it, it's it's you're lacking the the motion and the systems that Formula One have, but the feeling is actually getting pretty close. Um, so yeah, it's very impressive. Um. Going back a, a track slightly, can you ever see a time when F1 will go all electric like Formula E? I think inevitably it's going to in the future. It has to. Um, there's obviously a very difficult bridge to cross because of, um, I guess, the relationship between how Formula 1 used to be and, yeah. and, and you know we were running V8s, V10s and screaming, burning fuel every, every weekend to, to now. I mean, we've crossed the bridge with the hybrids that we have. Yeah. And so, just like the roads, cars you see today, it will lead into full electric. But um, it's going to happen. I, th I think the challenging part is how do you keep the, the atmosphere and the drama yeah. of, a, of a Formula 1 car? Because and the, sound. The, and the sound, you know, um, the technology itself is getting closer and closer. You can see um, Formula E now with a with a new generation car, that's that's another step forwards. And um, I think I don't know if you saw Goodwood last yeah. week, but yeah. we had this McMarthy McMarthy car, um, but all these electric cars now. I mean, doing the doing the climb and faster it's, uh, and faster, faster than anything else. Exactly. So uh, you know we're getting to that point. Yeah. Um, so yes, I guess I guess that's really the only side to it I see is just making sure we keep the that atmosphere within the sport. Um, of course, Williams is now associated with Bang & Yes. Um, do you listen to music before you drive? Do you sort of like, zone, like to use music to help zone now? Partly. I'm, I'm not the biggest music guy. I do like music. Noise cancelling headphones are kind of essential to to me just because uh, you know when, we're, when we are driving, the atmosphere yeah. is busy. We have a lot of people around. Um, coming here right now, where we are right now in the UK with the European hospitality unit you know I have my own driver's room it's fine it's yeah. closed off I'll have the speakers on and that's kind of it whereas um, you know we'll go to fly we call them flyaway races outside of Europe where the circuits provide us these container boxes but pretty much that becomes chaotic and um, you really need time alone to focus yeah. I feel like um, you know you need that that space away and at least with the headphones and being not being noise cancelling you can zone away from it and you know, focus on whatever it may be um, and yeah it, it is actually it's a necessity to us any specific tracks help you so depending on the driver I know for instance myself I I, I drive best when I'm relaxed so kind of chill music 
uh, my style. If I, yeah. I, I don't do well perform kind of you know amped up. Some drivers they want to be you know come out there fighting, boxing, <laughs> yeah. um, being aggressive. I drive best when I'm calm, smooth, um, precise. So it's amazing how kind of the music you listen to kind of translates to that. And so that's kind of the music I tend to gravitate towards, just because um, yeah, it helps me get into that zone. Um, do you have any other gadgets in your life you couldn't live without? Um, trying to think of the ones outside the obvious. Um, I'd say the ones that we use mostly are um, kind of these general tracking apps that we do. So, you know, for our food, for our nutrition, sorry, for our nutrition, yeah. for our sleep, for um, our fitness. You know, we use an aura ring. We have fitness apps with a heart rate belt that we yeah. connect to the polar. Uh, equipment, um, and then we have. Um, I'd say that more, more or less it, but it's really important. You know, I kind of live off my phone, and a lot of my information yeah. is here. My trainer, we have a, you know, we have a sleep doctor, we have a nutritionist, and we have um, my my full time personal trainer. With them three in mind, you know, we they're, they're getting all the feedback from me through my phone, and I know this. Um, questionnaires that I fill in and as well they see all my data um, and that's all for performance you know we need to yeah. get the right sleep with all the jet lag that we have and the, and the food you know with the aura rings and whatever it may be um, depending on the days if I'm feeling a bit tired with whatever the marketing duties that we have and there's a whole strategy behind um, performing and um, and all them three things kind of come together um, so yeah I'd say that's the collective group that 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 I'm it makes a lot of sense the fitness tracking stuff again it's back to analytics and data exactly exactly we live in a world now and especially okay. in our sport it's uh, it's helped in sport generally hasn't it like, yes, I mean, it's just exactly. completely transformed sport and there's all, all and there's te technology all, always coming out for what we're doing even um, you know like our, we have the um, the light drills so we use what we call blaze pods yeah. and they are kind of reactive stuff and we use them every session without doubt it's again just to wake up the mind, wake up our reaction times, um, and again they you know they have software to see how we, how our reaction time status is you know, kind of the it's a, almost a stress test as well because they're trying to check your um, if you're making mistakes or not during the during the reaction drills. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know we 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 are heavily reliant on it, and especially Patrick, who is my um, my performance coach. Um, you know, he's always looking out there for the latest technology to try and help yeah. help perform better. Um, do you finally? This is my final question. Did you um, like to use an awful lot of technology in your personal road car? My road car. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is, is there anything in that road car that you actually now couldn't live without? Okay. Um, trying to think. Not in terms of road car. Not not until the basics. Now I have a Mercedes uh, GLE, which is yeah packed with the technology um, it has all the gizmos um, with the, kind of the lane changing assist the, the, the auto distancing the, obviously we have Apple CarPlay but the, um, all that kind of stuff and I kind of use it quite a lot like you know yeah. I just leave it in cruise control and let it kind of have my finger just resting on the top of it and uh, let it drive me around but, um, but yeah there's nothing Nothing obvious. Yeah. Nothing obvious. Um, do in yeah. a way do you, do we now all take it yeah. for granted? Possibly so. Like um, 
I'm a huge fan of um, classic cars, and I kind of enjoy the rawness yeah. to, to it. So um, there is a. It's, it's weird because it's I'm involved in so much tech, but maybe part of me is is why I I also enjoy the the simple stuff and um, yeah, you know, like a uh, classic cars for me are, are quite cool because it's so you're so connected yes. to the car. You know, there is no kind of also pilot where you can just switch off. <laughs> you're kind of always in control of it. So maybe so, maybe so, yeah. And so we come to our weekly review. This time we look at Apple's M2-powered MacBook Air laptop. Joining me is Britt O'Boyle, who has been using one on a day-to-day -day basis for a week. So Britt, having played with it for a while, what, what do you think of it so far? Oh, it's actually amazing. I literally love it. It's so nice. The design is beautiful. It's flat now instead of the slightly curved. You know, the old ones had slightly curved lids. Yeah. It was that wedge design. Um, they've got completely rid of that now. Um, so it now looks exactly like the um, pro models, basically. Um, so it's flatter, much flatter, much more, much sleeker and just refreshed, basically. It's lovely. Apple does that with it always gives you that initial pick it up and hold it feeling is always good in my opinion of, yeah, of their devices that's something that, that that always runs through it so when you open it um what are you getting so um pretty much most things are the same in terms of the keyboard you get slightly um the uh, the function keys are the same height now as the rest of the keys, which was different from the M1 MacBook Air. Um, and so that then means that the Touch ID button in the corner is also slightly bigger. But that's all good things, as in we like that about it. Um, but it's mainly the screen, actually, that's different um, on this model. You get a the notch at the top of the display, which has me meant that the bezels around the display have shrunk which is lovely. It gives it a much more updated design. Um, you also, they've also lost the MacBook Air logo at the bottom, which I didn't think that I would really like, but actually I love it. Um, but it's, uh, it's also brighter and it's a liquid um, retina display instead of a retina display. So it's slightly brighter and you can actually tell when the models are side by side that it's much punchier. The colors are brighter and more vibrant. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the differences visually anyway. <laughs> Will people be put off by the notch? Because obviously there was a massive debate about notches on mobile phones and, and trying to get the screen estate so that there is no notch. Um, and now they've gone and, and added one. Well, see, this is the thing. It's definitely one of those things that you either probably love it or hate it, maybe a bit like Marmite, but... I have found that I think because I'm so used to it with my with my iPhone, I just don't really notice it, to be honest. I don't notice that it's a notch and not just, I just enjoy the slimmer bezels. So I've not really, it's not something that I am against, um, but I can see that some people might find it a little bit annoying. Um, they, I mean, it, it does definitely give you a little, like there's 0.3 inches bigger display in a smaller body. So actually you, with it, you do get a little bit more than just, um, a notch if you know what I mean it, like it does add value as well um, so I definitely think that would help but yeah I mean there, there might be some people that aren't the biggest fan of it to be fair and I assume it kind of hides within a toolbar anyway because most applications and um, mac os itself has a top toolbar it does and actually that toolbar um, is slightly less squashed I know that sounds a bit ridiculous but there's a little bit more space so everything's just got it's just a bit airier looking. It just feels a little bit more spacious, a little bit, just a little bit nicer. Like I, it definitely makes a difference to that top menu bar, which is nice. Now, of course, the 
the big internal change is the M2 processor, the M2 Apple Silicon. Yeah. Um, do you make? Do you immediately notice the difference? Yes, actually, you do because I was working on the M1 MacBook Air prior to reviewing this device, and you can definitely tell with just like minor sort of day-to-day tasks um, are just a little bit smoother. The M1 is still a brilliant machine, so you're not going to sort of lose out necessarily massively if you're doing day-to-day stuff, but it definitely does improve stuff. And just the stuff that takes or you expect to take that little bit longer, sort of image processing, video editing, those kinds of things, they are definitely speedier on the M2 device for sure. And, of course, the next version of Mac OS... Um, I always forget what model, what numbers we're coming up to. Yeah, that's the one. Um, The next version has quite a few sort of like um, Apple Silicon features that are going to make even better use of the M2. So you're you you've tested it using uh, the current version of macOS. Let me get. Is it Monterey? I'm Uh, trying to remember. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And so, so of course, while that is faster, there are even better and bigger features coming to the next macOS. There are definitely some good ones coming. Stage Manager, I'd imagine, will take will make massive use of the M2 chip just in its capability or in its ability to switch between tasks and stuff. I think that will be even more evident that it's faster when you get to do that. I mean, you know, it's clear that you really like the new MacBook Air. However, like you say, you've been using the M1 version, which was the last model. And say if you are a punter with the M1 model, is there any reason really to upgrade? I think, honestly, that depends on how much you like design um, and but also what you do with your laptop. So if you're a casual day-to-day user that perhaps doesn't need it for sort of image processing or video editing or anything like that, and you're sort of just doing, you know, day-to-day bits on it, then no, you probably don't need the power of the M2. And if you're not fussed about design, then you're not going to be overly bothered. Um, If you are someone, however, that does appreciate design, there's definitely a big difference in this this model. Um, Like the, the the wedge design has been around for nearly 10 years. So the fact that it's changed from that now, from when they, when Steve Jobs took it out of that envelope, it's definitely got, um, it's definitely a reason to buy it, I suppose, or to upgrade. Um, you also get a few other bits. Um, you get a full HD camera on this one. Um, the RAM can be, or the memory, sorry, can be expanded up to 24 gig instead of 16. Um, the display is a little bit brighter, like I said. Um, and there's a few other bits like the speakers, Although the speakers is a bit of a funny one because they've they've now slotted it in behind the keyboard and, and under the display, so it's sort of right at the back of the back of the sort of bottom of the laptop instead of by the sides of the keyboard, and that actually means that I would say the speakers don't sound quite as good as the M1 speakers do, just because you get less space for the sound to travel. I think. Um, but also, um, it does, they, the new the new one does come with spatial audio support. So there is that if you if you need an extra reason to upgrade, I suppose. Um, but otherwise, yeah, no, I think I think you're probably okay with the M1 in terms of performance. Although you will see an uplift if you get the M2. So it depends on what you do. I think would be the answer to that. I think another question of mine is if you're in the market for a MacBook Pro, mm. um, is the MacBook Air worth considering instead so again (laughs) i think that that depends on um 
what you do as a day-to-day job. Now, obviously the air doesn't have a fan, so using it for long periods of time to do quite high demand things will mean that it might not be able to cope quite as well as the pros would. Um, And also the pro just has a little bit extra power. Um, The M2 13-inch Pro is pretty much identical based on the specs, near enough. There's a few things you get with the Pro, but not loads. So in that case, I'd say I'd probably stick with the Air over that. But that, again, it does depend on what you you do with your laptop. If it was me, and based on what we do with our day-to-day things, I would buy the Air, the M2 Air. But um, a video editor, perhaps, or someone that does a lot of image work, I would say the pro model is probably still the one that you would need to buy. I suppose my final thing is, um, if push come to shove, uh, would this be your work laptop of choice? 100%. I literally so <laughs> upset when this leaves my house because I literally adore it. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. It's such a nice laptop, honestly. <laughs> that's it for this week's podcast i hope you found it enjoyable even illuminating at times if so please leave a review on your listening platform of choice for now i've been rick henderson and i hope you'll join us for the next podcast where we'll have another packed lineup of guests and tech for you keep safe and well and we'll catch up with you soon even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.